dust and breath we all Welcome to This Good Word, where every week we look at one single word in an endless discovery of reclaiming what's holy about our humanity. My name is Steve Weens. I'm a pastor, I'm a writer, and I'm a father of three crazy boys. My hope with this podcast is to create an environment where you can continually discover who you actually are in the world. So feel free to check out my website at steveweens.com, S-T-E-V-E-W-I-E-N-S.com, where you can find links to my blog, to purchase my book, which is called Beginnings, The First Seven Days of the Rest of Your Life, and also links to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. Well, hey, friends, here we are, another week of This Good Word, and today I have Christine Osgood. Christine's a good friend. I've known her for a couple years now. She's the director of the Urban Retreat here in the Twin Cities, and the Urban Retreat is this fascinating and beautiful place carved right out of uh, the middle of the cities. It's beautiful, it's reflective, and it's dedicated toward helping people recover their souls. Uh, I've that's it's where I go every month on my monthly retreat day where I get alone I get quiet uh, and I absolutely love it and Christine uh, has a really a unique story she has an amazing perspective on what spiritual formation is and so today we talk all about formation and her she's exactly the kind of person I love to interview she has an expansive understanding of who God is and who we are as people, and her joy is infectious. So take a listen, enjoy Christine Osgood. Well, I am so thrilled to be here with Christine Osgood. Hi, Christine. Hi, Steve. Oh my gosh. Um, I have been waiting for this for a while. Uh, Christine is the director of the Urban Retreat, and what it is is this gorgeous place right kind of in the middle of the Twin Cities that I go to about every month uh, for a day of silence and solitude. And it's just one of the biggest gifts to me of my month. That's one of the things that I rely on in order to make it through my sometimes crazy life of pastoring and writing and fathering and husbanding and all that stuff. And so every month I show up a little bit before nine, I say hi to you and you pray for me and it's a, just a kind of a slow centering time. And then I go hang out in, in this, uh, what's it called? What's the house called that, that we, I hang out at? We call it the potting shed. We're not quite sure what God will plant in you when you go oh out there. Gosh. That is so awesome. I love that. The potting shed and it has four little stations. Sometimes there's pictures that you can sort of prayer journal on. Sometimes there's words. And so it changes seasonally. There's a labyrinth back in the backyard. There's a gorgeous 
sort of pergola that you can sit under. In fact, last last time I was there, I mean, the cotton that was coming off the oh trees my gosh. was it's so intense. It, it looks like it was snowing. It was. I mean, I was there for as long as I could handle it. And then like when my computer was covered in, <laughs> in but uh, so that it's a huge gift to me. And so we're going to have a conversation about formation, about mm. justice, about why it is that you that you started this uh, beautiful gift to the world that you did. Mm. And so first though, so you're a spiritual director yep. and you um, started the urban retreat. So can we just get into a little bit more about Christine, who you are? And I, I want to start with, um, I know you have, uh, well, let me just start with this. Give me your spiritual background, hmm. if you would. You know, that's a nice, light, easy I intro know. topic. But Krista Tippett does it. Like, <laughs> mm, do you have a spiritual background? <laughs> or what, what was your upbringing? Just give us what, what, you were, what your upbringing was. Sure. And then sort of the road that led you to start the Urban Retreat, if sure. you would. Oh, definitely. So I grew up in what many people would call a traditional, non-denominational Christian home. And I, looking back on it, I'm very grateful for some of the just the structures and the parameters that were put around my life when I was a kid and some of the spiritual messages that were given to me about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit. And when I look back, overall, it was a really useful time to be just immersed in that environment. I have to be honest, though, as I grew older, I personally started to realize that I needed to tease apart who God was from the church. And I went on a pretty significant journey in my 20s and 30s, uh, early 30s, where I needed to tease those two things apart. Because when I look at the world around, uh, many times I would be perplexed by the fact that I think there's this God out there that really cares for the world that it created. And um, supposedly the people that are supposed to love and adore this God most, called the church, I found them to not be the ones that would actually be connected to the source, be connected to the creator. Yes. And so that really was perplexing to me. And so I had to go on a pretty long, I call them my abyss years. <laughs> where uh, Sounds like the title of an album. Yes. My, my abyss, abyss years. years. It's very dark. Dark. Swirly space. Melodic. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> But I feel like during those years, um, I stood was standing at the edge of an abyss, and I was pretty much throwing everything in there that I had learned from my childhood and young adult um, life with regards to God, spirituality, and the church. And there were only like a few precious things that I found myself clinging to at the last second, and I couldn't throw them into the abyss. But pretty much everything else went in there. And yes. so um, who I am on the other side of the abyss years, um, I actually really, really love uh, the journey that I've been on and the type of person that's emerged in me on the other side of this. And so uh, my friends um, who have walked with me over all of those years, 20 plus years, um, they notice a very distinct difference between who I was pre and then post the abyss. Mm-hmm. And so I love that, by the way. I just mm. think that is just one of the journeys that we all have to go on. I think seriously, yes. I think no matter what we've grown up in, what 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 container God has been put in for us, there comes a point where if we don't 
allow God to break out of that container. And I don't like, you know, we say God in a box. I think we're going to put God in a box. I mean, that's, that's theology. That's, that's, but if, if we don't allow that box to be shattered, if we don't allow ourselves to stand at the abyss and say, this doesn't work anymore. This doesn't work anymore. Forget this. I'm not even sure if, if I throw this in, am I going to be damned for all eternity? I don't know but I'm throwing it in any way. And then to find out that there is a bigger God that can handle that. Enormous on the other side. And it's amazing. Oh my goodness. Yes. (laughs) I love that. Oh yes. Do you read Richard Rohr? Oh yes. Oh, love love that guy. Um, I found that his writing falling upward was so helpful for me during this. Well, actually post this time to just name so much of what was happening. This time of transition, it's necessary, especially in midlife. We have to go through this time. So anyway, it was nice to know that I wasn't a heretic and it was actually quite normal. Yes. No, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I think I love how he talks about. He's always talking about the 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 fatalism of dualistic thinking, right? Oh the my either gosh. or, the black and white, the this or that, in or out, and how that just there comes a time in our lives where we either have to dive into that with fear and hold on to it even closer, like oh, I'm yeah. in and they're out, or I'm this and they're that, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna fight that for whatever, or we transcend that and say. You know, yeah. it's life's a bit more gray. That. Yeah, more yes. more complex. Yes. Um, I read this quote uh, a little while ago. <laughs> Speaking of that, that I loved, and it was, um, at the bottom of the slippery slope, I found God, and oh my she gosh. said, "Welcome home." <laughs> oh, you have no idea on how many Isn't levels that great? I love that. That great. <laughs> Yeah, I loved it too. I I loved it immediately. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. To be totally embraced Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the slippery slope. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So tell me why, I mean, I'm I'm guessing that because of some of those reasons Mm, is why you started the Urban Retreat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Can you get into more of the the background behind why you started it? Yeah, I would love to. Um, When I finally started to realize that um, I wasn't actually a heretic and I was more the norm than the odd person out, I realized that there are a lot of people around that do not feel safe in traditional church settings, but they're really open to God and nurturing their spirituality and they have no freaking idea where to go to do things like that. And so to cross over into a church setting because that's the only place that they know where they can meet God at can be quite terrifying actually for a lot of people in today's day and age. Excuse me. So I knew I wanted there to be a place where people could people could pause and tend to their interior journey Mm -hmm. and actually be able to listen for God, to be connected with God, to wonder about God, and not feel like they were going to be told, this is what I have to believe about God in order to be okay. And so that needed to happen, at least for me, outside of a traditional church paradigm. Yeah. So that was part of the reason why I started the Urban Retreat. Another part of it is just uh, many years ago when I started having kids, Jeez, I realized I needed a break. (laughs) I needed to have space to be able to just step back and kind of catch my breath and go, wait, who am I and what's happening inside of me? And I started my own practice of going on retreat at that point in time. But what I found was a lot of the retreat places, I'd have to travel like an hour outside the cities. And then they usually wanted you to stay for a couple of nights. And I was like, "Um, I'm a young mom. I've got between the hours of nine and three. That's all I have. Where can I go to get away from everything during those hours? So 
I didn't find anything. So I decided, let's just make something. So that was another reason why the urban retreat started. There is a third reason. I have kind of drunk the Kool-Aid on something, Steve. (laughs) The thing that I've drunk the the Kool-Aid on is I actually think, first of all, there is a God. Mm. And then secondly, I actually think that this God desires for there to be a people that are living in a way that represents uh, this God in this world. And um, so if I live with this idea that this God wants us to join him in what he's doing or she's doing in this world, um, there's usually some soul formation stuff that needs to go on in order for us to really illuminate this beautiful God. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a hot mess on the inside. And so (laughs) the hot mess that is within me usually isn't the beautiful, the beautiful expression of this God. And so there's this journey that we all get to go on if we want to, Mm. of having our interior be transformed into something so much more light and life-giving and a filled with kindness and compassion and generosity. And um, I needed and wanted to be able to create a space for people to have their interior world tended to and slowly have space for it to transform. So it actually does kind of look like this beautiful, beautiful people that could join God with what God is doing in this world. So the Urban Retreat is to be a space where people can do things like that, slowly be transformed. I love that. And even as you say it that way, a people, it's not a people that belong to one organization that meet together on one. And not, I mean, I'm a pastor, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I lead an organization that's like that. But I also recognize the need for um, organization, even it's not the right word, but like movements like yours Mm -hmm. that defy the boundaries of some of the this is this is this church and to go to this church you have to show up at a certain time the people that make up the urban retreat community if you even call it that yeah it's a little bit like the aa community where it's like it's everyone everywhere yes um some people go to church some people who don't uh, yeah it's from they're all over the place yeah yeah so I assume the people that come, it's very ecumenical. It's very, right? yeah. very, 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 yeah. Um, and that might even be too small of a word, perhaps. But It is, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it's good. So let's talk a little bit more about formation yeah. um, and spiritual Ooh. transformation. And you said if, if we're going to be a people who sort of represent the good God, that, that live out um, who God is in the world, yeah. not even to the world, but in the world, then there's some there's some disciplines, there's some practices, there's some ways of living yeah. that need to be forged within us. So talk about how yeah. you view that yeah. and what some practices are that you encourage people to to journey on. Okay, so you've you've kind of touched on a fun topic for yes. me because I like I teach classes yep. on this uh, um, and I love this kind of stuff. So this whole journey of spiritual formation or transformation, people view this in a variety of different ways. But the way that I look at it is that we're invited into a process of change where we can participate in this. We can exert some level of effort, um, but our effort really is all about opening ourselves up to become changed, to become transformed. God in God's goodness 
desires for us to be these beautiful beings that live here on this earth showing his goodness to the world and so all we have to do is literally open ourselves up to God forming and shaping us and he does she does it's kind of remarkable how that happens but what I find is is a lot of people think that um, to open oneself to God means I need to learn more about God yeah it's all cerebral yeah and so if intellectually I comprehend who God is then I I will become transformed. I will become one of these people of God that you're talking about. But really, intellectual knowledge about God is only one way that people can be transformed. I definitely am one of those people. I love learning. Um, And I find myself changing internally as I learn more. But I'm finding that most people are not wired that way. In fact, there's several different sacred pathways where people, um, as... where people can encounter and experience God um, and intellectual is only one of them. So you mentioned that actually there's like disciplines and actually that's a terrible word. Nobody likes to hear the word discipline in today's day and age. And so I choose to use the word practices. There are spiritual practices that um, they really do transform us as we engage them. And so one of my favorite authors who talks about this, um, he's an oldie but a goodie, and we'll need to keep him around for a long time, this guy named Dallas Willard. He talks about these disciplines um, called the disciplines or the practices of abstinence mm-hmm. and then the practices of engagement. Mm-hmm. And within the practices of abstinence, he says, there are certain things that we can abstain from, and as we abstain from these things, It literally creates space in our soul for then God to come and fill us, transform us, change us. So for example, some practices of abstinence would, uh, a lot of people know about this thing called fasting where they would willfully choose to abstain from food in order to recognize what they really are dependent on, which, you know, is a fantastic practice. But honestly, in today's day and age, when I talk to people about this, I talk about fasting from technology. Yeah. It's way more profound for people to get them unplugged. But so things like fasting, things like solitude and silence, those are two practices that you do on a regular basis every single month. You abstain from being around people. You abstain from noise. You abstain from distractions of this world in order to create a space in your soul for God to come and fill that. A couple other disciplines of abstinence or practices of abstinence that I really, really like are the, the practices of simplicity. Hmm. which in America today, (laughs) most people um, have no idea what it means to be simple with their lifestyle. But when we are simple, when we live with just a few things guiding us and directing us, everything else just falls to the wayside and we don't become encumbered by so many different values and priorities and things that we have to do. And when we're unencumbered, our souls can become open for God transforming us. Well, there's actually probably 10, 12 different practices of abstinence that people could engage. Yep. And then um, what I love is that he also highlights practices of engagement. Okay, but stop there, okay? Because yeah. I want to tease this oh, out for yeah. a second. You go for it. So when you encourage people to fast from technology, yeah. Um, and I can just, you know, I can feel the, <gasps> you know, but, but also there's this, so I, I think people react in, in simultaneously freak out and like if only Curious. i could you know yeah. i'm sick yeah. of email actually i'm yes. sick of the twitter facebook instagram loop oh. so let's say i go okay i'm gonna fast from that for the weekend yeah 
Yeah. I'm going to fast from that from Friday night to Sunday night. What should I expect if I fast for that from 48 hours? <laughs> You're going to go through withdrawal. Yeah. So honestly, and you kind of, you need to be geared up and ready for that because if you're not ready for that, you literally are going to go back yeah. to that which you want. So once you start to panic and feel like you're going to hyperventilate because you can't turn your computer on or turn your phone on, one of the things that I always ask people and invite people to wonder about is in that moment where they feel drawn, like they can't possibly control themselves any longer, to stop and ask themselves, why do I need this? Mm. Why do I need this in order to exist? Why do I feel like I cannot move on without having this in my possession right now? Yeah. Why is it that I am so dependent on this? And what might I, what could I potentially be dependent on instead? Yes. So. See, I think that's helpful, right? Because I think yeah. as I've tried that, honestly, technology yeah. is a hard one for me. I'm, I'm very addicted. Oh. And I think I'm addicted to the adrenaline buzz. I'm addicted yes. to being needed. I'm addicted yes. to opening up an email and solving a problem. Yeah. I'm addicted to getting a like on Facebook from something I share. I mean, all those things, all right? And, yep. and so, and there's chemical, like I've trained my brain to expect regular dopamine hits yes. from those things. Yes, that's so exactly it. when I stop doing them, mm-hmm. I feel anxious. I yeah. feel depressed. So there, yes. there be, the reason why I asked that is because I think without knowing that hey you're gonna you're gonna experience some major withdrawal yeah and what to do with that yeah because i think and then but on the other side of that once you've begun to fast for a while yeah what do you find that people find oh my goodness across the board people will say i cannot believe i did not do this earlier in my life why haven't i been doing this my entire life I feel free. Yeah. I feel light. Yeah. I actually had time to do things that I really wanted to do. I saw my spouse and had a conversation with yeah. them. My kids, we actually played with one another. And it's like, I, I always find it so cute because we think it's so profound, but really, it's really quite simple. Yeah. But yeah. now, Steve, I actually want to tease out something that you said that mm. was really, really important that a lot of people don't realize or they don't do in this whole process is that you were able to actually name what you're dependent on. Yeah. Dependent on wanting to get the likes. Yeah. Dependent on wanting to fix a problem. Most people don't want to acknowledge this is why I go to the computer or this is why I go to the bottle or this is why yeah. I go to whatever it is they go to to be dependent on. Um, it takes a lot of courage yeah. to actually say, oh my gosh, I'm going to say this out loud. I want someone to like me on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nobody really wants to say <laughs> that out know, loud. But that's really part of what the whole thing is, is yeah. we have to identify here's what it is that I really, really want. And so instead of choosing to be free and open and attentive to the things that I care about, I'm going to choose this other thing yeah. because I really want this other thing too. Right, right. So... I love that. And I, you put that so, I think, succinctly. And so mm-hmm. um, with the, people can ex- like they can have access to that. And so, okay, you talk, so talk about um, practices of engagement. Oh, yes. Okay, so if you envision that all of these practices of abstinence, it's kind of like they're creating all of this beautiful space in your soul for change to happen. Think of the practices of engagement like um, God being able to now come in and fill you with something good. So you've created this right. big space. Now you put something good in that big space. 
a lot of people don't know what good things to put in that big space. And so then they go back to all the things they have been filling that space with. So practices of engagement um, uh, could be things like service. You've got space now in your life and your soul to be able to care for others around you. So instead of sitting on the couch, you're getting up and you're caring for the neighbors in your neighborhood and the things that there are important to them. Another practice of engagement could be something like actually studying the Bible. What does it actually say? Is there anything in here that I should probably pay attention to? Another practice of engagement could be, um, oh, this one is so lovely. It's called the practice of celebration, Hmm. where you engage celebrating everything that's good in your life and saying thank you to God for what it is that you're doing. Um, Oh, oh, okay. So I have this really fun practice that I love to teach people to do because they're like, okay, seriously, this is a spiritual practice, (laughs) but it is. uh, And it's called the prayer of rest. And it really ties in with celebration. So um, you're going to take a nap in this practice. Okay. Who doesn't want to take a nap? I love Uh, naps. And so this practice totally reformats a nap because Mm. what you do is you lay yourself flat out in your favorite spot where you can just truly, truly rest. And as you're falling asleep, you engage envisioning that you're falling asleep in the presence of God, a God who loves you, cares for you, sees you, Mm. and you fall asleep in that state. When you wake, you do not get up. Instead, you either lay flat on your back or flip over so that you are laying before God again And you scroll through every good thing that has happened in your life over the last month and you express gratitude Mm. and thankfulness for every good thing. Mm. So when I first learned this practice, it was like 20 years ago with my first spiritual formation professor. And I thought, okay, this guy's a little crazy. Ah, Yes. (laughs) You're telling us to go take a nap, huh? And so I thought, this is great homework. I love it. I'm going to be so happy to do it. But you're a little off your rocker. Cool, cool. And then I started doing it. Mm. Steve, it changes everything. Mm. When you finally see yourself as being connected to the divine source that loves you and cares for you enough to allow you to rest in its presence. Mm. And then when you wake in its presence, all you do is express gratitude for the life that you've been given. Mm. It transforms how you even view your life and how you view this deity. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So that's a very tangible practice of celebration. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Isn't that cool? Well, you know, I haven't. So when you were describing that, I sometimes what I do, because I do take naps. I mean, I take naps oh. as often as I can. Not quite every day, but, but you know, I would say probably four days a week. Oh, I mean, yeah. Uh, and sometimes what I do is I say, okay, God, for this nap, I'm no longer a pastor. Hmm. I'm no longer an author. Oh. No longer, you know, anything public. And yes. I, I sort of resign, actually, from all mm. those things. Like, yes. I know it's only for an hour or whatever, but... You're taking a but I, sabbatical. Yeah, I actually resign from those things. But what I haven't done is then upon waking, pause, oh. and then name the things for which I'm grateful, the yes. things for which, I, you know... But I think that could be really powerful. Yeah. 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 And I heard from Richard Rohr recently, he's quoting someone else, but we now know that the brain... Negative things stick to us like, like oh. you know, in me, like Velcro. They, yes. they stick. One negative thing, boom, it burns in our brains. Yes. But it takes something like, like when you have a positive memory, 
you know, your dog comes bounding in the room or your kids who hug actually you. love you in the moment, you <laughs> yes, know, hug you yes. or whatever it is, a sunrise, sunset, flower, uh, sense of euphoria after a job well done. You have to linger on those things for a minimum of 15 seconds. Isn't that crazy? In order for it to register yeah. and be locked in yeah. your long-term memory. Yeah. I know. It's incredible. And uh, with that whole memory piece in our brain, it is so much easier to recall the negative yeah. than it is to recall the positive. Yeah. And, and especially if you haven't let the positive linger long enough yeah. to get stored in a long-term memory. That's why, to be perfectly honest, I really love uh, a lot of the, um, and this is, uh, you tell me if we should go here or not, but the Buddhist well, we're practice is awesome. Um, you know, there's a lot of Buddhist mindfulness yes. uh, practices that I find to be really quite useful within the Christian context. And um, I find that when we allow ourselves to become fully present to the exclusion of everything else around us, to become fully present to the goodness of God, you can't help but become literally immersed in this sense of beautiful interconnection with God. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. But we don't, going back to the brain stuff, we don't slow our brains down. We don't slow our minds down enough to allow that kind of interconnection to actually occur. Yeah. So yeah. We're kinda... going so fast. No, I, I I totally agree. And I actually, it's funny, you, you just met Mary oh, and yeah, uh, yeah. my wife, and we were just talking this morning because she's reading Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Peace oh, With Every Step right now. Beautiful. And he talks about like, even you recognize fear. Yes. And he says, he instructs the reader to greet fear. Yes. Hello, fear. Yep. How are you? Yep. And a lot of people think that sounds really crazy, but what you're doing is you are acknowledging an authentic portion yep. of yourself yep. and of your experience. Yep. And so I always love all these Christians who are like, yeah, bring your full self to God, except all the negative yeah. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, what? right, right. But part of it, we've never even trained ourselves to really see the fullness of who we are. And the yeah. fullness of who we are has things like fear. Oh, yeah. Have, have things like worry. Yeah disappointment yeah shame rage um yeah yeah and i i mean i what's the alternative (laughs) to befriending fear it's you're gonna shame it and you're gonna shame you're gonna shame it deny it shove it yep i can't believe i I think that i can't believe i felt that which is self-judgment which leads to judgment of others i mean that's just that's what it does exactly so I'm a big fan of mindfulness, and I, I think it's all connected. Yeah. I don't care that it's that the Buddhists are better at it than you know yes. Christians yes. are or whatever. It's like, let's learn from them, please. Exactly. Um, you know, right? Because clearly, I mean, the sermon I just preached this last week, Jesus felt, so there's this widow whose husband, well, widow, so her husband died, and his, her son just died. And so, oh my gosh, and it's this tiny little town and Jesus shows up at the funeral and he expresses compassion mm-hmm. and grief. Yeah. Hello, grief. Yeah. Hello, fear. Hello, widow, who now you have nothing yeah. in the first century. Yeah. Um, he so, becomes fully present yeah. to those things. Yeah. And instead of just trying to move by it quickly, no. he stays present yep. to those things. Yeah. Yeah, 
the Son of God could do that, maybe we could do that. Maybe too. we could. Okay, so more, are, are there more uh, practices of engagement? Oh my goodness, there's so many. Um, there's things like worship, there's things like, um, oh gosh, and of course now I'm blanking on all of them, but actually there's about 12 <laughs> of them all together. Yeah. So, well, celebration, I think, was yeah, one that you yes. said. Mm-hmm. Even, celebration, study, yeah, yeah. worship. Um, oh, you know, there's this oldie but goodie called prayer. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's, can we go there? Yeah. Can we go there? Yeah. So I think. No, we can't talk about prayer. Yeah, in a prayer. But I think people have a knee-jerk reaction. Oh. Prayer is pressure. Oh my gosh, yes. I have to say words. Yes. That I don't really have access to. Yeah. I have to say them in a way that are sort of acceptable to God. Yeah. Um, Is that allowed? Is that not allowed? Can I say this? Can I swear? Can I not swear? Oh, I wouldn't even think about asking that. Yeah. And then, so like, like, so prayer has become a burden and yeah. people that I think try it are maybe trying it because they're expecting this lightning bolt of euphoria to happen. Yes. And then when it doesn't happen, it's totally disappointing. Yes. So can we talk about the different ways of praying? Like oh, yeah. s- praying by not using any words. Oh my goodness. Yes. Praying by just using the fewest amount of words possible. Praying using prayer books. So I don't have to have the pressure of yeah. language. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever read this book, but it is freaking fantastic when it comes to prayer. It's called Armchair Mystic. Mm-mm. It's a little bit of an unusual title. I love that. However, um, it has been the best uh, book on how to engage prayer that I think I've ever come across because it shows you four movements of prayer. Um when everybody starts off praying, they have no freaking idea what they're doing. I mean, they don't. And uh, so it's a lot like when we're kids and somebody is introducing us to a person that we don't know and saying, you need to go talk to this person that you don't know. Well, when I was like six and I saw someone that I didn't know, I was like, uh, I'm out of here. I don't know what to say. Exactly. Which is very similar to the whole concept of talking to a deity that we can't see. Um, so anyway, uh, the author in this book says, um, at that season or stage or movement of prayer, written prayers are really quite helpful because we don't even know what to say. So have someone else give you some words so you can at least like try them on and see what it's like to pray someone else's words. And it's interesting that Jesus even taught his disciples to pray and kind of dished that up for us a long time ago. But there's a lot of prayers out there that we can recite that were other people's prayers. But as you grow older and as you become more familiar talking to this person that you don't really know and you get to know them a little bit better, you can actually start to have conversation with this person, this God that Mm. is becoming a little bit more familiar to you. And so it becomes more of a dialogue and a little bit back and forth and kind of like you're now a 12 year old and you're wanting to go hang out with this person and tell them stories of your day and what happened at the lunch table at school and you kind of get excited to tell those stories and prayer then moves into that time of conversation but then as you continue to grow older you start to realize that this person that you've been coming to actually has some words of wisdom has Mm. some peace has some good stuff if you just shut up and listen yeah and so um, the third movement of prayer is really all about shifting from talking at god to listening to Mm. god and there's a whole variety of ways to listen to god which are fun to teach people so that they realize i don't have to say anything i could actually just kind of listen yeah but that freaks people out but there's things to do to help with that 
But then the fourth movement of prayer, I love how he says this. Um, He talks about that when you've been with someone for years and years and years and years and years, you get to this point when you're with this person, they don't even need to speak. You just know you're with one another in those moments and words would just mess things up. Yeah. And so you just drink in the richness of being in each other's presence and find nourishment from being close to that person. And so when I read this, I was like, that's brilliant. That's exactly what prayer is like. You start off not knowing what the heck you're doing. And then you move all the way to this place where there really aren't any words that are mm. even necessary for that communion or interconnection with yeah. God. Uh, Don't you love that? I No, I really do love that. And I love the sense... The way I look at it anyway, I don't know if it's, it was meant this way, but that you transcend and include each stage, yes. right? So you don't graduate. No. You just, you just keep, it keeps, you know, so even when you've gotten to a sitting on the porch, rocking in your rocking chair, sipping your iced tea, saying nothing. Yes. Eating soup. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, you can have soup. I've yeah, got a glass of wine in that division. Oh, yes. Wine. Um, there, there are some times when you go back to, you don't know, you know, exactly. and, and there's some, you have to go back to. You come go back to written poetry, yeah, written poetry. or prayers where you go, this yeah. is dense and rich and so beautiful. I want to, I want to pray this now, yeah. even though they're not my, my own words. Yeah. Yeah. It's a both and. It's all of the above. I love that picture. Um, Ruth Haley Barton's one of my favorite oh, yes. writers and, yep. and friends, actually. I, I did mm-hmm. a two year thing with the Transforming yeah, Center. I loved yes. it. And she wrote this great book called um, The Book on Moses um, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Oh, yes. Yep. And so there's this big question of, you know, Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land, you know, and mm. oh my gosh, this great question, you know, and, oh, how unfair. He just, you know, did all did this a, stuff to get stuff. everybody there. He did one. He screwed up once. Well, he screwed up more than once. But um, <laughs> but her thought is, yeah, he didn't physically step his foot into the promised land. But the presence and intimacy of God that he experienced yeah. was his promise. That was the promised land. Yeah, yeah. That he got to that part where, because at the end of his life, um, he he dies with God. I mean, yes. he dies breathing in God. And yes. that was the promised land yeah um oh i love that image because it it completely transcends what what we would typically want we would want we'd want the cake and we want to eat it too yeah but in reality um he got he got the beautiful interconnection with god yeah (laughs) wow all right so you so i know um well people are now knowing that you can go for a day of silence and solitude like I do, 93. But you do lots of other things at the Urban Retreat too. So just walk through a little bit of what else you guys do. Yeah, sure, definitely. So I meet with people individually. Um, There's this another spiritual practice. It's called spiritual companioning or spiritual direction, depending on, you know, the background that you come from. And so I meet with people individually and we talk about their experience of God, their experience of life, and where does God show up in the midst of life? And um, together we kind of find our way towards God in the midst of those conversations. Mm. Uh, So you can come for a solitude retreat, spiritual companioning, but then I also have started these groups. They're called the Journey Through Life Groups. Um, And I've very specifically designed them to help people walk towards God, especially if they are not familiar with how to walk towards God. 
There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on in our own soul development that we as people need to be really mindful and thoughtful about. And yet, um, if you don't go to church, or maybe if you do go to church, uh, sometimes you're not invited to pay attention to certain things that are really useful for your soul's development. And so I've created these groups where... um, we get to walk through some topics that are really, really important. Um, the first group that I do is something called the Journey Inward. Mm. And really what it is is you're pe- peeling back the layers on who you are and how did you get to be this person and how is it that you navigate in life um, and with your relationships and the people around you because we all need a little bit of self-awareness when it comes to ultimately then walking with God in this world. So I start us out at the very beginning, taking a look at who you are. So all the different groups, that I facilitate then peel back another layer of either self-awareness, God-awareness, relational awareness, helping us be able to figure out, okay, how do I tend to this thing called my soul? And how do I actually have a portion of it be transformed over the course of time? So we have those groups. Um, I also do these um, really fun Saturday retreats. Um, I had I used to call them soul care retreats, but I'm finding everybody's like, what the heck is a soul and how do I care for that? And that just doesn't sound right. So yeah. I've renamed them well-being retreats because we all need to tend to our soul's well-being. And so um, on the second Saturday of every month, there is a well-being retreat where people can come and they can holistically take care of themselves. Uh, and I guide them through a variety of exercises exercises where we're together as a group and then you have time alone and you're eating good organic food and then you're it's just oh it's such a really great day but for everybody who is listening to this and they're going I still don't really understand what all this is I uh, have these very easy quick one afternoon a month they're called discover well-being and Mm. I talk about what is soul well-being what is the soul what is soul well-being what is this journey of spiritual formation how do all these things combine together and it's just a little kind of like taste and see so that way you can learn a little bit about what are all these different things yeah so delicious yes uh, i'm so lucky that you live so close to me and i'm all right so here i'm gonna ask you this question because people listen to this good word from all over the world and there are some people that i know are listening to this conversation and their mind is blowing. They're like, I, I didn't know you could think this way. Mm. I didn't know that was possible. Mm. I didn't I didn't know. I didn't know you could pray that way without being penalized. I didn't know you could stand at the abyss and throw your stuff in <laughs> and still be loved by God. I didn't and, and and now I'm freaking out. And I love it, but the minute this podcast is over, I'm pissed off because yeah. I live in yeah. uh, Cleveland. I live in, yeah. you know, who knows where and what do I do now? Yeah. So can you get those people in their mind? They're, they're not part of the church. Yeah. They maybe have one relationship in their life that they would call mm. spiritual. Yeah. After this conversation, they're so hungry. And maybe they're in a church, but oh. they're just, they're looking around and going, I don't fit here. Yeah. Maybe oh, yeah. they're, I mean, in a marriage and it's like, oh, it's so painful because I don't, I can't have these conversations. Yes. Is there any, this is like the, hardest question in the world but i'm gonna ask it anyway jeez oh, okay is there anywhere that you would say here's where to go here's a mm. book to read yeah here's a um here's a practice to try yeah here's a reassuring thing i want to say to you because i've met lots of these people yes yep 
Oh, man. Fair question? Fair question. Uh, but we could be here for like a month. I know. So um, some initial thoughts. Let's start with books because books are the easiest. Um, hopefully you have access to maybe a computer where yeah. you could order from Amazon or, you know, whatever, bookdepository.com. Um, they ship all over the world. Uh, one of the things that I would recommend is this book called Sacred Pathways. It identifies nine different ways that people experience the divine or experience God. And um, it's really helpful for you to be able to go, how do I even encounter God? And then you can start engaging practices that actually align with how you would naturally encounter God. For example, one of the pathways is a naturalist pathway. So there are people, this is one of my top pathways, intellectual, naturalist, and contemplative. Um, the naturalist pathway, these folks get outside and yeah. all of a sudden, God is speaking to them all over the place through the created world. Yeah. And um, for them, church is in the middle of a forest. And they yeah. learn about the divine and experience God in the midst of being in that cathedral of trees. Yeah. And so if people don't know that, they, they might think, oh, my gosh, I'm like worshiping nature. And there's something <laughs> wrong with me and right. whatever. Or the, I think people, they think someday i'll have to graduate to the to, to, the, to, real to the real stuff, stuff of yeah the and exactly. i think that's so sad but yeah exactly so sacred pathways by gary thomas yep. helps you identify nine different ways to approach god or encounter god that are not the traditional ways uh, or some of them are but others are not so another book i would recommend getting um, is something called sacred companions by David Benner, yeah. because in this book, it highlights how to have spiritual friendship and how to engage spiritual dialogue with other people. So even if it's just you and one other person in some basement in Cleveland, you could read this book together. Sorry, Cleveland, by the way. I mean, we are trashing you. <laughs> we assume there is spiritual, Cleveland is a spiritual center of vitality and richness that, that we don't even know about. Exactly. So, so some fictitious city yeah. where you are sitting it's not Cleveland. For <laughs> God's sake, it's, it's L.A., you know, it's New York. <laughs> Cleveland is spiritually vital. Oh, man. So you and your friend in the city, in the basement, could actually read this book together and learn how to companion one another, be yeah. present to spiritual dialogue and spiritual questions with one another. So that would be another resource. Okay. Another thing, you know, not to self-promote here, but I am going to say yeah. this. Please do. Um, look in this, at this fall, um, the series that I told you about, the Journey Through Life series, I am going to start to wheel that out in an online format. Whoa, so that baby. way, yes. So that way, it's almost like you're taking a class on yourself. And so oh. you, with your laptop in the basement of the unnamed city, right. you could go through um, the journey inward on your own. Wow. Um, and actually, I'd encourage you to go through it with a, a friend because yeah. um, it's much better, much richer. But anyway, so that would be another resource for you come this fall. Great. Um, so that's where I would start uh, with books. So Okay, so I'm going to list all those on the show notes. Sweet. Um, so um, Spiritual Pathways. Sacred Pathways. Sorry, Sacred that's Pathways. Right. By Gary Thomas. Yep. Sacred Companions by David Benner. Yep. And then you could come to the um, Urban Retreat website yep. and, uh, yeah, be able to do the journey inward starting this fall. Okay. So. so can they get on an email list or something? If they go yeah. to the Urban Retreat website, which I'll put on the show notes, Perfect. can they 
put their name in email list and get onto get... the newsletter yep. yeah okay. perfect i only send out a newsletter once a month because i hate being one of those yeah. people that sends too many emails yeah it's like super annoying yeah so yeah no cool. i hear you so i'm going to put all those things on the show notes gang if you are interested and i just want to say um hang in there uh listeners mm. like if if and I, I just know i know it i know it i know it some of you are your minds are blowing up right now and and you just have never heard anyone talk like this and you're so refreshed and your it just feels like I, I, I could explode right now um I would I would really encourage you take the practical step of picking up one of those books and then honestly and I don't care if you know how to pray don't know how to pray just help pray the prayer help God send help mm. <laughs> send me a friend that I can talk to about this send me a yeah companion that I can walk through this journey with if you feel alone um I think yeah go ahead can, can I give one more idea yes too? yes because if you feel like you're just saying help and I I don't actually know how to walk towards God but I want it maybe a non-traditional way to do it if you pick up this old 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 book called the Bible and you turn <laughs> to it's kind of in the middle towards the end there's four books that are like stories uh, Matthew Mark Luke and John are the titles of those books and if you pick one of those books and you read it with your imagination yes it's a very different way where you can learn about Jesus you can encounter Jesus and you can encounter God and so imagine yourself in each one of the stories what would it smell like what would I be seeing with my eyes what would I be tasting what would I be touching if I was actually part of the crowd having this crazy event go down right in front of my very eyes it's one of the most transformational ways for me to read the Bible and so if you're alone and you're going help I don't know how to actually draw near to God Use your imagination yeah. and read one of those books. Sorry to interrupt. No. It's, it's, it's an I, oldie but a goodie. I love that. Very Jesuit. Um, yeah. Entering into the story. Um, I, I So the rabbis say like, you know, the words on the page, the black on the page, the words typed out in black are the story, but the white space around uh, it is yes. where we fit in and is yes. where all, all the imagination can happen. And I, and I say, um, feel very free to just wander around. In, in wonder yeah in the story and if it feels out of bounds that's probably again that's the pathway that's going to be towards some truth. pretty good yeah exactly yeah. Cool. Um, okay Christine um, anything that you wished I would have asked you that I didn't oh geez you're talking to an introvert I feel like I've already explained too much <laughs> no this was so good so good Oh, thanks so much for having me here today, Steve. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I think this is going to help quite a few people, and I'm excited to he just hear from people about uh, how they interact with your words. Hmm. I am sure you're going to get some pings at hmm. your site. And so um, thank you so much, Christine. Hmm. This was life-giving for me, and I know it'll be life-giving for people who listen to it. So at the end of... Um, every podcast we have a little mantra that we say because this good word it's about reclaiming what's holy about our humanity hmm. right that's what oh, okay. and we say we're dust and breath hmm. we're limited and limitless hmm. we're human and holy and we're just in it together and so oh. peace and grace to all of y'all thanks so much for continuing to listen uh especially to great great friends like christine osgood and um I will see you. I won't see you, but I will be with you 
next week, you all. Grace and peace.